Oh. <laughs> well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. It's great worship. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate your ministry. It's always exciting to be together and worship the Lord together and just see what God does. Pastor Sean uh, wanted me to teach uh, today in this series on baggage. Uh, the title of today's message is Emotional Baggage. And the reason they chose me to do this one is because I'm so uh, emotional. I, I have such a... <laughs> I have such a volatile emotional makeup. So they thought I'd be the best one to teach the one on emotional baggage. Actually, I'm pretty emotional compared to Luke, though. <laughs> if there's anybody that's more of a than me, I think it's Luke. That's right, that's right. He, he claims that I discipled him and that whatever he is, it's because of me, but I don't, I don't take credit for everything. I got to give his uh, mom and dad part of the credit. Are they in here? Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. It's, not all, it's not all my fault, Carol. <laughs> well, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, so if you want to turn there. I'll give you an update on the dogs. They're getting old. I mean, they are just, I mean, they are flat getting old. My, my favorite dog, the, the only one that's a real dog, is really getting old. She's starting to have trouble getting around and carrying on. But you know your dogs are getting old when you're working out in the yard and the dogs go out with you and lay down in the grass and fall asleep. <clears throat> and that's not the worst of it. After about a half hour, you look up and there's five buzzards circling right over the dogs. <laughs> That's the honest truth. I was out working on my house a couple of weeks ago, and it was one of those cool but sunny mornings, and it was, you know, in the sun, it felt really good, so the dogs came out, and they laid down in the grass just off the driveway, and I was working on the driveway, and they just, they flat stretched out. I mean, they looked like they were dead, and, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it, because they liked laying in the sun sleeping on a cool day, and I'm, I'm serious. I looked up, I'd been working out there 30 or 40 minutes, I looked up, and there were five big old buzzards circling and they weren't just circling up in the sky they were right over the dogs and i'm thinking you know that chihuahua can easily be mistaken for a rodent you know so every time we let her out to go to the bathroom i feel like i have to watch to be sure a hawk or a owl or something doesn't swoop down and get her but uh but on the other hand that wouldn't be too bad a deal but they're uh, they're starting to show their age Well, let's uh, pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you this morning, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can get together and worship you and rejoice and have fun together and uh, just to share life together in Christ. So, Lord, as we study the word together today, I pray that you'll make it come alive to us. Uh, Your word is powerful. It's living, able to uh, pierce down on the inside of us. And that's where we need to be uh, revealed and where things need to be uh, worked on. So God, uh, we ask that you'll do that this morning by the, just the pleasure of your grace and power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Uh, I'm going to read this about a four or five verse passage there, and then we're going to come back to it a little bit later on in the message. But if you want to follow along, there should be an outline in your bulletin there. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things 
passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now I'm reading now the New American Standard translation. So, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know, that is a beautiful passage. There's, there's so much there. I could spend my whole time this morning just right there, but we've got some other things to cover too. So, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. But I want you to keep in mind, the, uh, particularly verse 17, and then we're going to come back and highlight uh, some important things in the other verses in the latter part of the message. But look here, it says, He is a new creature. Talking about us in Christ. That's what it means to be born again. When we come to Christ, we receive His life, and we're able to do that because of His shed blood, because He went to the cross as a sinless Lamb of God, died in our place shed His blood, which is the classic atonement of all times for sin. The Bible shows us that all the way through from the very beginning of the revelation of God. In the early part of the book of Genesis, He shows us that blood is a covering for sin. So Jesus Christ came as the final sacrifice that that God ever wanted uh, from us on earth. And that means that all we have to do now is come and say, Okay, Jesus, I'm coming in under what you have already finished, what you have already accomplished. And by faith, I'm receiving you and your finished work on behalf of my life because there's no possible way I can please God. There's no possible way I could go and sacrifice enough animals and shed enough blood to ever please God. It's already a done deal. That's what it means to come in under Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be reconciled through Him. We actually come and take on Uh, His finished work by faith. So that's what it says here. If anybody be in Christ, that's what it means. The terminology there of being in Christ is by faith coming in to Christ spiritually under the finished work or on behalf of the finished work that he's already accomplished. Causes us to be born again. What it says in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that. And in Paul's saying it here in another way where he says, Uh, This born-again experience is like literally being a new creature. You're a new creation, a new person in Christ. What that means is old things are passed away. Some translations say old things are passing away. I like either one because to me, uh, this whole deal is a lifelong experience of growing in Christ, exchanging the old for the new, and for me, it's more of a passing than it is a past. If you, want to, if you want to say, okay, it's a done deal, yeah, it is a done deal in the spiritual realm, just like we are seated with Christ now in heavenly places. That's a done deal. But we have to walk it out still on this earth. So that's what uh, the difference there is in <clears throat> some of the translations that use uh, the uh, passive or the progressive uh, in the reference to passing away. Okay, let's look at your outline couple things there. If you want to read the introduction with me, we operate out of who we are on the inside, the real us is the inner person on the inside. Our inner picture, how we see ourselves, and every one of us has an inner picture. It's much different than what we look like on the outside. Would you agree? 
Some of us still look pretty good. Some of us are starting to, like my dogs, starting to kind of wane a little bit. So the outside really isn't the issue. It's the person on the inside that is the issue. That is the person that God is recreating and causing to look like Jesus Christ in our inner person. So that's the important one that we're dealing with. How we see ourselves in this inner picture, this inner person, has tremendous influences in our life. And it really, it, it pretty much sets the course of where we go unless we come to Christ and learn to reprogram that, which we'll talk about. We are learning, as Christians now, we are learning to see ourselves in Christ. That's what Paul talks about in that verse 17. Rather than through the picture of our past hurts and failures. Now, I don't have time to have a big group counseling session here with all of us. But uh, if we were going to do that, we could take personal testimonies. And if you're in a home group that processes through uh, the messages on Sunday, I would encourage you to, to share some of that in areas where you can. So people can get a better understanding of how past experiences, past hurts, past failures can really affect how you walk out the rest of your life. And that's why it's so important that we understand coming to Christ is not just a cleaning up of an old life and a repairing of an old life. It is a new life in Christ because we'll never be able to figure out how to repair the past. There's things that have happened to us in our childhood. There's things that have happened to us in our early life, decisions we've made, choices we've made, things that have happened to us not by our own choice that have affected how we see ourselves inside, our inner picture of who we are. And that oftentimes can really mess up the road ahead. That can just derail you. And that's why people struggle with uh, making right life choices in their life. Point number one, rejection, I believe, is the root of all emotional hurts. Something that I've seen as a pattern over the years that I've worked in ministry and counseling with people. Uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the effects of rejection. And rejection is something that every one of us have experienced at some point in our life to some degree. A definition of rejection is to cast away, throw away, decline, disallow, disapprove. And you could even add shame on there. Uh, anytime you feel shamed or somebody has shamed you because you have felt unworthy, unacceptable, unapproved, uh, is a type of rejection. Rejection is one of the most powerful forces that I have ever dealt with. And, and I have dealt with it, you know, in my own life. I've also dealt with it in the lives of other people. Uh, years ago when we did more direct, overt deliverance ministry than we do, seem like we do now, uh, there was a, 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 an understanding among people that worked in deliverance ministry that the root spirit in many cases was a spirit of rejection. Then other spiritual forces come and it kind of attach themselves or cluster around that primary spirit. And people that used to, to do deliverance ministry and teach on it and write books on it, Many of them came to the same conclusion over the years that the spirit of rejection was the root door, the, the beginning doorway into for demonic forces and evil forces to come in and oppress people's lives. And so a lot of people started back in the 70s and 80s realizing that they had to first deal with that primary root cause of their emotional problems before they could make any headway. Now, I believe the Scripture bears this out, and we're going to look at some examples here in just a minute. 
But rejection can come uh, through several sources. It all stems back to the enemy in some way or another. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10, once again, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I feel like I'm using Scripture this morning that you all probably have put to memory years and years ago. But John 10, 10 says what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Now, a lot of these verses that are extremely familiar to us, I'm, I fear that we may just kind of put them to memory, and then we kind of put them on autopilot, and we don't really think about what they mean. It's a very, very pivotal verse in Scripture in understanding how the spiritual forces in this universe work with people. The spirit uh, or the thief that Jesus refers to there is obviously Satan. He uses the terminology thief. Uh, he's also the one who is the father of lies. He's also the one who uh, in every way brings darkness onto this earth and into people's lives. And notice what it says there. It says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, the stealing, the killing, and the destruction does not always happen immediately in the physical sense. He doesn't always come and just wipe you off the face of the earth. That does happen, and, and there are cases, many cases, and we've seen that recently even in our own fellowship with some family members. But what he normally does before he ever gets you to the point where he can physically kill you is he starts to work on the inside and bring, uh, he steals your, your joy, he steals your uh, picture of what God has given you, in other words, your godly self-image that all of us were created with. He steals your confidence. He steals your, uh, any, for Christians, he steals your spiritual power, your awareness of who you are in Christ. Uh, he tries to bring in a darkness over you to where you, you lack the desire or the confidence, in some cases even to worship God, some cases even to be in the presence of other Christians. That's how he works. And that is the, the beginning of his attempts to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy the purposes of God, the destiny of God, the giftings of God. He wants to take you out of the game. If you look at it like a, a sports team that's well-trained and practiced together that goes out on the field and wins games... What's he want to do? He wants to break your leg so that you can't go out on the field. He wants to get you to where he has minimized or nullified what God has designed you to do. That's what, that's what the enemy, that's what Jesus is talking about here. But the contrast that Jesus speaks is, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Praise God. Isn't that cool? I mean, is there anybody in this room that doesn't want life? true eternal life and in the fullest measure that God desires to give it to you see the abundant life is just wow it's like the presence of God the power of God the gifting of God the purposes and the destiny of God uh, the wisdom everything that there is in the kingdom of God it's like God is saying I give you this without measure that's God's abundance that's what he wants and so the enemy's purpose is always the opposite of what God's purpose is for your life. So once you determine what God's purpose is, know that anything that comes against that and tries to present itself as the opposite of that is the enemy's attempt to try to drag you away from the effectiveness and the purpose that God has for you. And so 
These things come then through inner hurts, inner wounds. That's how the enemy works. He works through negative words, through dark sayings, through, through things that are geared to get you to question your identity, question who you are in God's value system, uh, question your, your, your giftings and your talents, everything that God has made you to be. The enemy will come and he will get you to question. That's how he started out in the very beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 3. So these things come then, sometimes through others. Other people will say things to you, sometimes parents that, that aren't very wise about these spiritual things and the importance of words will say things to their kids and say things in front of their kids that cause wounding and hurting and, and, and that type of experience. Uh, we've all heard a lot lately about bullying and how, you know, the, the effects of bullying in young people's lives, peer pressure. Uh, all of that goes into making up your inner picture. If you were told as a little kid going to school and riding the school bus that you were ugly and you were uh, stupid and that nobody wanted to be around you and everything else, well, as a little child growing up, you started believing that. You may not have wanted to believe it. You may not have said with your mouth, I believe it. But you, you started having the effects of that take place in your life. And you started losing confidence to be around the other kids. You didn't feel like you really fit in. Oftentimes, it caused you to be isolated. You'd stay home and stay in your room, and, and you just didn't want to be out in public. And see, all of that is the enemy's attempts to bring destruction and, and thievery in your life, to steal the very things that God has put in your life that he wants you uh, to grow up with. So Satan knows the right thing to do in each individual life, and oftentimes he'll bring that through others. Sometimes he'll bring it through ourselves. Sometimes we will make mistakes. Anybody in here ever made a mistake? How do you deal with yourself when you make a mistake? Now, some people are very hard on themselves. And they just, in their mind, they think, oh, gosh, what an idiot. What an idiot. I can't believe I did that. Any of you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I do that, too. I do. <laughs> you know, I've had some things in my past that years ago that I'm still saying, you're an idiot, man. You're just an idiot. <laughs> You shouldn't have done that, you know. But see, if I start believing that, now it's one thing to say that jokingly. It's another thing to really start believing it. And, uh, but, but, but that's, you know, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we make wrong choices that create bad circumstances. And then, you know, we feel, we feel shame. We feel like, man, you know, I fouled up. You know, it could have been a job that you messed up on and lost. It could have been a, a marriage that you messed up and and in some way caused a divorce. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are major life events that imprint who you think you are and who you see yourself as on that inner picture. And it also affects the way you and I respond to God. Because, if, you know, if we don't feel confidence, if we feel shame all the time, we're not going to want to respond to God with great confidence and faith. And so we can be very difficult on ourselves. We cannot process properly our failures. We, we sometimes don't accept forgiveness. We'll teach other people to, hey, you know, I forgive you. God forgives you. But sometimes we're the hardest ones on the inside to receive forgiveness. You know, our kids will mess up and we'll tell our kids, man, I forgive you. But, but sometimes we won't forgive ourselves. I remember when my Kids went off the track here when they were in their late teens, early 20s for a few years. You know, I felt horrible because I felt like I'd failed as a parent. 
you know, I thought, what did I do wrong that somewhere I missed it, somewhere I didn't teach them right, or somewhere I was not a good example because, you know, my kids went off the tracks for a couple years or three years. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, but I had to deal with that. I had to go back and I had to deal that with that, that feeling with God. And I came to the conclusion, Lord, I wasn't perfect, but we raised them in the, in the Word. We raised them in the presence of the Lord. They do have a free will. They do have a foundation in their life. And if they're off the tracks now by faith, I believe they're going to get back on. And they did. You know, and they're great kids now. They're great parents and raising kids of their own. And, but, you know, you can be extremely hard on yourself at times when you think that you fail because of the circumstances around you. Sometimes we experience rejection because of a wrong understanding of God's uh, discipline in our life. Uh, there's times when, when things happen, sin brings about discipline from God. Sin brings about a corrective process in our lives. And if we don't handle the corrective process properly, we might misinterpret that as rejection. Oftentimes, I've run into people that, uh, you know, God is trying to help them. God is actually trying to bring them to a place, sometimes through the godly authorities that God's placed over them. Parenting is a good example of that. As parents, when your kids do something that needs discipline, what happens? The parent, if they discipline properly, sometimes the kids still receive that as rejection. Even as adults, when we do something that needs correction, how many of you like to receive correction from other people? Have you done something at work in the last few years where you've had a supervisor come to you and say, you know, that wasn't quite the way we had planned on having that go? And how does it make you feel when you receive correction? Even if it's in a proper way, even if it's the best possible way the other person could do it, how do you feel when your spouse wants to correct you? How come you got quiet? <laughs> Husbands, do you like it when your wives try to correct you? Do you tend to kind of bristle up and grit your teeth and storm off into another room or, or get angry and yell at him and say, don't talk to me that way? And blah, 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 blah. Why? It's because... It's because we don't always know how to process discipline. And the flesh hates discipline in every area. So when God is trying to discipline us, either directly through His Word or through circumstances sometimes, or through the counsel of a trusted friend or family member, oftentimes we misinterpret that as, oh, they're rejecting me, they're judging me. No, they're not judging you. They love you. And they care for you. And they're trying to follow the pattern of God's word. Where it says if someone sins against you or someone's caught in a trespass, go to that one in private. In a loving way, share with them what needs to be uh, pointed out. Pray with them. Help restore them. But see, in a, particularly in our world today, I mean, we, we've got this, this anti-judgmental, anti-criticism type mindset going that is so out of balance that many times we can't receive correction even if God came and sat out on our doorstep and corrected us Himself, we wouldn't receive it. And see, that that's brings a false sense of rejection into our lives. Now, let's look at some biblical examples here because there are several. 
Let's go back uh, in the book of Genesis for a little bit, and then we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians in a minute. Genesis chapter 3, you all know that story. It's the classic story where they ate the wrong fruit. (laughs) It wasn't by mistake. It was intentionally. God said, don't eat that one. That one right over there, don't eat it. You can eat anything else. You can eat dirt if you want to. Eat dirt. But don't eat that fruit off that tree over there. And of course, what did they do? They went and ate fruit off that tree over there. And immediately, a sense of awareness came into their lives that brought shame and it brought fear. Look at Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Says when the eyes of both of them, and that's the effect of what happened when they eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Says the eyes of both of them were opened, opened not just to the good that God had created them with, but also the evil that the enemy was trying to bring into their life. Says the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man said to his wife, or, or the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And the Lord said to them, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat of? Now, see, God knew all this stuff was going to happen, and then after it happened, He knew where they were hiding, and He knew what they were going to say. So it wasn't like God was trying to figure out how to have a counseling session here. But He was trying to address them to let them know, hey, nothing's changed on my part. I'm coming into the garden every day just like I always have. Something's changed on your part, though. Because you sinned, it brought shame and guilt and fear into your life. Now, this is the effects of rejection. Because, you see, Adam and Eve, God didn't reject them. They rejected themselves because of the aftermath of sin. And that's what happens when sin comes into our life. When sin comes into your life and it's not properly dealt with, you immediately start backing up away from the presence of God. It's a natural reaction. If there's unatoned sin in your life, you don't feel confident in the presence of the Lord. So what did they do? They sewed clothing together out of leaves. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> and they hid themselves behind a bush. Now here's God who created the universe. He created all the bushes. You think God, <laughs> you think you could hide? Could you possibly hide from God? But see, they tried because of shame, because they, uh, something, something had changed in their lives. They now didn't feel acceptable in the presence of God. So they hid themselves from the presence of God. And see, this is the, this is the root. Now, this is the first sin, and this is the effects of the first sin. And then you go down through history, and, and you see basically every major movement that, that's negative against the works of God stems from this same thing. I'm not going to have time to go into it, but you can go in the very next chapter. You look at Cain, how you know he chose to bring an offering that he knew wasn't acceptable because a sin offering what they were uh, supposed to be bringing, required a blood sacrifice. They knew that. 
Even at this time in history, they knew that. The Bible gives us indication of that. Uh, Cain brought vegetables instead. Uh, Abel brought a, a blood offering of the lamb of his flock. And so what happened? God confronted Cain. His offering wasn't acceptable. He felt shame, and his shame turned to anger, which turned to murder. So rejection being the root, then in different people's lives, takes a different channel. With Adam and Eve, it was, it was shame and, and fear, fear of God's presence. In Cain's life, it was anger and bitterness and murder. And so the next thing Cain did after God confronted him and said, Cain, you need to repent. He says, you need to deal with this. You need to master this feeling. It says here in verse 7, if you do well, in other words, if you bring a proper offering, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God told Cain, you have control over this. You don't have to give in to this feeling of rejection that's come upon you because you made the wrong choice about the offering that you brought. God came to him and, and gave him instructions. He said, Cain, just bring the right offering. Go out and get a lamb from your brother's flock and Trade him some vegetables for it. Slay the lamb, bring a blood offering, and you will be cleansed, and you will be able to have your face, your countenance, your expression will be lifted up, and you'll once again be filled with joy. And God challenged him. He said, it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door like a lion ready to devour you, but you can master it. Isn't that cool? See, God says that same thing to every one of us. He gives us the power. In the new covenant, we have the power through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to master the things that come into our life. The feelings, the emotions, the feelings of shame and rejection and guilt and fear, all of those things that people deal with in this life, in Christ, we now are a new creature and we can master those things. Praise God. You don't have to go around feeling worthless. You don't have to feel like a failure. I don't care how many times you've failed. You know, get along with me and I'll tell you how many times I've failed. I'm not going to tell you up here. but <laughs> so it goes on the tape and on the internet and all over the world, you know. But, uh, I mean, I have failed. I have failed on several occasions. And I could, I could get down about that and I could, I could quit everything because I could feel unworthy. I could take all the giftings and things that God has put in my life over the years and I could say, well, Lord... I've fouled up so much, I'm not worthy, and I could just go crawl in a hole somewhere. But God won't let me do that because He challenges me with His love and His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit. And through the Word, day by day by day, I continue to see, God, there's hope. I don't care what's happened, there's hope. And see, that's what he told Cain. There's hope. You don't have to live in this murderous spirit that's coming upon you. You don't have to do that. And so we know the story. He went out and killed his brother. You go on down through the history of the early uh, folks of God, and you see how Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, but he wasn't born uh, in the way that God wanted him to be born. God wanted Abraham and, and Sarah to stand in faith and believe for Sarah to produce an heir that would be uh, the heir of the Abrahamic covenant. They got out ahead of God. and they, Do you know the story? Abraham had relations with Sarah's handmaid, who was an Egyptian girl, and Ishmael was born. And they tried everything they could do, or Abraham did, tried everything he could do to make God 
select Ishmael as the chosen son, but God said no. That's the thing about God. It's awful hard to talk God into our plans. Don't, don't try it. Don't try it. You know, you could, if you go producing a bunch of Ishmaels, you're going to have to deal with them. God's, <laughs> God will give you grace for them, but, and He'll give you a love for them, but He's not going to necessarily put the covenant blessing of, of that type of what we're talking about here on them. So Isaac comes along as a little boy, 15 years younger than Ishmael. And the Bible tells us here in Genesis chapter 21, 22, that when, Ishmael, or when Isaac was old enough to be weaned, of course their custom was to have a celebration for the weaning of a child. And what happened was, is that during that celebration, Ishmael mocked Isaac. It says here in verse 9, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had uh, born to Abraham, mocking Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid will not be heir with my son Isaac. Abraham really struggled with that because he loved Ishmael, but he did. He went ahead and he caused, uh, he told uh, Hagar and, and Ishmael they'd have to leave the, the tribe, basically, and, and to go find another place to live. And that was a, that was a serious act of rejection in Ishmael's life. And I know that in a perfect world, there probably could have been some way to, to make Ishmael stay in the family and feel worthy in the midst of Isaac, the, the one that God had planned growing up, the passing of Abraham's mantle of spiritual leadership and covenant leadership came down to Isaac. But what happened was when Ishmael got sent out, a bitterness and an anger came into his life. And you see the same thing a generation later with Jacob and Esau. It's an amazing parallel how Jacob received the blessing that Esau thought that he deserved. But because Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a pot of stew at one point. And you can read all this. That's in Genesis 27. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, to read those stories. In Genesis 27. Uh, seven. It talks about uh, this whole story of uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He would have been the one to receive, once again, we're talking about the Abrahamic blessing, the, the leadership of the clan, the spiritual oversight of the whole clan and the covenant that God had given to Abraham was resident in that birthright blessing. And the firstborn son always received the birthright blessing. Uh, unless for some reason, God intervened. And in the case of Esau, Esau, the Bible tells us, he despised his birthright. He took it lightly. He didn't consider it to be something worthy to protect. And at a point when he was, felt like he was starving to death after he'd come in out of the fields, he literally sold and gave his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of, of stew. God heard that and saw that and honored that. And later on, a couple chapters later, you see the story of Jacob uh, manipulating and Isaac ended up giving Jacob the, the covenant blessing and Esau came in and was just destroyed. He was just uh, couldn't believe that he had lost the blessing and he didn't realize, he didn't draw that connection, I don't think, to the fact that he actually gave it away and sold it uh, months earlier. And so, but that rejection, anytime you, you don't receive something that you think you should have, there's a rejection that comes along with it. There's a feeling of being set aside or cast off or unworthiness that naturally comes with that. 
And you have to deal with that properly or things will settle into your life and oftentimes will change the whole outcome of your life. In the case of Esau, he made a, a pledge here. He said, he said I'm going to kill him. Once my father Isaac is dead and we've buried him, I'm going to kill Jacob. See, Esau hated Jacob from that time on. Now, I want to tell you what happened. We could do a whole historical study on this, but obviously don't have time. Esau went and teamed up with his uncle Ishmael. Those two basically were the fathers of the Arabic people and the clans that are still now in the Middle East that hate Israel. So I want to tell you something. The spirit of rejection that happened all those thousands of years ago is still working in our world today, and it's in the news almost every night. Because what's going on in the Middle East right now is you've got, and most of those people became Muslims when Muhammad rose up in the 5th and 6th century. And, and those people, because of that spirit of rejection that was in their roots and passed down from generation to generation, they still today hate Israel. Most of them don't even know why. But all they know is we're Arabs and we hate Israel. And you can trace that thing back through that spirit, that demonic spirit that has governed that part of the world. The same spirit would like to work in our lives today. So what you see is here, you see that there's this, this feeling of unworthiness, this feeling of being set aside or thrown away or disallowed. It settles into people's lives in one way or another and then manifests through many, many different ways. So how do we deal with it? Well, once again, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go back there if you have your bookmark there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Now, that is our anchor point in realizing how to deal with the hurts and the wounds of the past. I know many of you grew up in homes where you may have felt abandoned. You may have been abandoned. Uh, many people grow up in homes where their parents either were divorced or you know, there was never a father in the home. Uh, and they feel like something is missing in their life. Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3 in a very vivid way. Starting in verse 12, he talks about coming to a full place of completeness in Christ. He says, he says I know I haven't obtained it yet. I haven't yet become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to let anything stop me from becoming what Christ has called me to be because of his death on the cross and his rescue of my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Notice what he says here. I do not regard, verse 13, myself as having laid hold of it yet. What he says is, I'm not, I'm not finished yet, I'm not complete yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those two verses can set you free, along with hundreds and hundreds of other verses in the Scripture. But if you don't know any other verses on this subject, I want you to remember those two. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You're a new person. You're not just a dirty old person that's trying to be patched up. You are a new person in Christ. That's an anchor point for our faith as we walk with Christ. And then the second thing is, Paul says, this one thing I do. Why do you think he emphasized it with those words? In other words, if I don't do anything else, this one thing I do, 
I forget what lies behind. I press on towards the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I'm going to move forward to where Christ has called me and what He's designed me to do. Amen? Those two things will set you free. If you really know Jesus Christ, if you've come to Christ and you've come under the blood covenant of Jesus Christ, those things will set you free. Because all of us have failures. All of us have bad situations in our life. All of us have hidden sins that are waiting to trip us up and draw us back into shame. I want to tell you something. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Because we are new creatures. We are new, brand new people in Christ. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I pray that the power of these scriptures that you have caused to be shared in your word this morning will penetrate into our hearts like arrows, good arrows, life-giving arrows, arrows that are filled with the freedom and the joy and the cleanness of your presence. And Lord, I pray that all these pictures of the past of who we think we are because of our failures will be torn apart. And we'll see ourselves seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. New creatures in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask our, worship, our prayer team to come up and just be available. I realize that this subject may stir up a lot of feelings or issues that you want to deal with. We'll be up here to pray with you. Ultimately, you're going to have to just get with the Lord by faith and say, Lord, I believe what the Word says about me. But we'll pray with you and just agree with you in prayer that you can do that. Because I don't care what you've been through. There's nobody in here that Jesus Christ won't give the breakthrough to. Praise God. Let's pray. Worship the Lord. Just respond to Him. I'm going-